0: We welcome, we welcome your ears, ears. We, welcome we welcome your ears your ears. There's a case where human solidarity where the two teams were hugging each other, were supporting each other, the whole competitive thing was dropped immediately when the situation happened. and that gives me a little bit of hope that we can push beyond the survival of the fittest idea and winning is everything. If you're not winning, you're losing all that stuff to a better place with each other. That's how I think.
1: You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noce and Harry Posner. Episode 194, pH Factor. When winning is losing. How success fails us.
0: Come on in, have a seat.
1: Join the conversation. Here we are, January five days into the new year, recording our first podcast for 2023, which will air on January 15th. Mm -hmm. Today's topic, well, we picked one that uh, we've been kind of talking about in one way or another for years, values and work and related to money and how much is enough and all the rest of it. And all these things are kind of associated with winning and losing in our society. So here we are, TSP 194, When Winning is Losing how success fails us. And I thought I'd kick this off with a biblical saying, and I'm not a very religious guy, as you know, not in the ceremonial sense anyway. This is from Mark 8:36, King James Bible. However, there are dozens of versions of this particular saying, and it says, for what shall it profit a
0: man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? In other words, achieve success and fame and money and all that goes with it, but at the same time lose his connection to his heart, his soul, his spirit, compassion for his fellow human beings, and on and on. So I think that's what it's pointing at is success for success's sake without the spiritual dimension will lead to a kind of hell on earth and at least a hell for that particular soul who has sacrificed his connection to the spirit and to other human beings for the sake of winning success. Mm -hmm. Does that ring a bell for you? Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. And In a more modern sense, you and I have discussed many times uh, through the creative process the whole issue of collaboration and cooperation versus competition. In a sense, this is a similar idea, winning and losing. There is a cooperative aspect to team development and winning, However, we tend to look at it from the perspective of competitiveness. And It's not the competitiveness in itself. It's what the competitiveness creates and how we as individuals deal with competitiveness. So winning in itself is not necessarily a negative thing. It's winning at what cost, which is essentially what we're talking about here, that creates all the negativity and in the ancient view, selling your soul, or the spiritual, religious view, the actual soul. But a soul can also mean selling out your friends, or manipulating people, or doing whatever it takes to come out on top and not necessarily understanding what the side effects, repercussions, or the collateral damage that's created in the process of winning.
0: Yeah, and often the collaborative side of things, teamwork, etc., is actually put in the service of the competitive side. The team works together in order to win, to compete. So the collaborative tends to always drop below the competitive. And the main reason for that, in a way, is Charles Darwin's evolutionary theories, the survival of the fittest. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you don't win the race to the food supply, you're... Lineage, your line dies out, and the ones who do reach the food supply, they go on and produce family and society, and you die out. So that's the theory of it. But I think in many ways ignores the way Mother Nature works, because Mother Nature is eminently collaborative in the way it works. Trees and mycelial networks underneath the soil, I mean, they talk to each other through these networks. There's this whole collaborative ethos in nature that we tend to ignore. And we think it's all competitive. Each plant is vying for its share of the sunlight and all that stuff. But I think that's a projection of our way of thinking on the natural world. I don't think that's how it works at all. But that's what we've been given, what we've been taught as the way of the world. You compete and you win, or you become a loser. To me, the
1: whole issue of nature is also about understanding cycles. Nature and the universe works in cycles. It doesn't work with an infinite upward motion. Mm. So that there are ups and downs. And if you consider ups and downs, you could almost match them with the words winning and losing. When you're up, you're winning. When you're down, you're losing. And nature constantly adjusts between those two. So it's really not a direct line, which winning suggests. Winning all the time is not a natural thing. Nobody wins all the time. So by putting so much emphasis on that, it's detrimental to many things. Although, as I said before, winning in itself, the spirit of competition can be very healthy. It doesn't have to be negative. It's all in what we do with it. And again, always comes back to that equilibrium that we speak of so often.
0: Peter, my son, I just want you to understand something about life It's not whether you win or lose. It's how you play the game. Or so we're told. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's the way fathers and mothers temper their child's deep disappointment at losing the soccer game or the chess game or what have you. When I was a child, learning to play chess from my dad, I used to get very upset when I would lose a pawn in the early part of the game. And he would say to me, Harry, just, it's okay the game isn't lost just because you've lost a pawn. I didn't realize it at the time that that was a kind of a life lesson too. Mm -hmm. That's a way of sort of tempering your disappointment at defeat. For example, Boris Becker, when interviewed many years ago, said that one of the best things that ever happened to him as a young tennis star was to lose in the first round at Wimbledon to a lesser ranked player. And he said, it just taught me something that On any given day, somebody will be better than you. And that's life. That's how it works. You can't expect to win all the time, as you said earlier, Peter. So the best sports heroes, in a way, the great players, tend to have this sort of balanced view of winning and losing. There are exceptions, of course, like uh, Muhammad Ali, for example, (laughs) Mm -hmm. who never gave on that he would accept defeat. He was always the greatest. I am the greatest. And he would demean his opponents and write silly poetry that he would throw at them and that sort of thing. So in some respects, he wasn't a great model for modest winners. But then you compare him to, say, Barry Sanders of the Detroit Lions, one of the greatest running backs in NFL history. Mm -hmm. And if you watch his films, Barry Sanders would make this scintillating run of 60, 70 yards, land in the end zone and what would he do he would just hand the ball quietly to the referee and you compare that to nowadays when a player scores a touchdown there's all this dancing and silly pyrotechnics bouncing around and doing silly stuff aren't we great we just got a touchdown kind of thing it's such a different world where that's kind of lauded and applauded
1: There's a quote by Mandela, which I've always liked, mm. which is the specific quote is, I never lose. I either win or learn. Mm.
0: Good one. Yeah, I like that.
1: Not only do I like it, I always attempt to live by it. And I attempt to use that same kind of thinking when dealing with children, specifically now my own granddaughter, however, to model that kind of behavior that allows one to grow and understand also having grown up in a certain culture in a certain manner, defeat in some terms. Defeat can also be fear-driven behavior. So, your inability to even attempt things for fear of failure to me is in a sense a defeat, which can be construed as a loss. Yeah. And I know a lot of these things we're going to be talking about are cliche. However, the development of the whole to me the bigger picture is the game of life, not the game or the sporting event. So you talked about Barry Sanders. More recently, Messi, which everyone can relate to because he's current, has that sort of behavior. I mean, he's highly competitive and it's very evident that, that he wants to win, but he's low key and understated in many ways. His performance speaks for itself, but there is that humility and a willingness to play the game at its best and accept The outcome either way. And as you say, there's very little showboating. Please continue talking to me about your chess experience.
0: Yes, I mentioned uh, learning chess from my father, but then I got involved in tournament chess as I got better and better. And one of the ways that chess players improve their game is by not only looking at the games that they've won and to see how they won those games, but the games that they lose are more critical to look at and to analyze, to find out where did I go wrong? What was I thinking here that made me make a poor move that ended up losing the game for me? That's way more valuable than gloating in your winning move. So I remember spending hours and hours going over lost games to see what I could do better and learned an awful lot and got better as a result of that. So I'm basically in agreement with you looking at your weaknesses. It's a good thing because it shows you where your weaknesses lie. So it's okay to lose, in fact, is what we're talking about here. It's perfectly okay. Well,
1: not only is it okay to lose, it's almost inevitable at some point or other, as we discussed. You know it's going to happen, so it's important that you're prepared. To me, it's like daily living. All of us have a great time or an easy time when things are running smoothly and everything is going our way. The trick in life is really more about what do you do When that's not the case, when the exact opposite happens, what are your coping mechanisms? What if you learned from all the positive experiences that enable you to get through the more difficult times? And I think that's the purpose of the game. Yeah. And up till now, we've talked predominantly about sporting events or competitive events. What about just basic winning in relationships?
0: Well, what would you like to say about that?
1: Arguments, for example, Mm. or differences of opinion between friends, between couples in marital situations, in business situations. What's the cost of winning an argument or winning a negotiation when you're applying methods that aren't necessarily full of integrity, perhaps using methods of trickery or manipulation in order to attain your goal? Mm. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, the point is that the emphasis on winning And competitive thinking in relationships can result in, well, can result in a one sided relationship. If one person has enough tricks up their sleeve in terms of conversation and argumentation to always walk away the winner, so to speak, of the argument, then it becomes a one sided relationship. And that person who always loses is going to get tired of this and just walk away at some point. So learning how to argue with integrity should be a big part of our education. I think that's something that's missing in our educational system is how to converse and debate with integrity and not have to resort to manipulation or ad hominem attacks on the other person's character or what have you. It's an art form that we have not been taught, unfortunately. And so a lot of people end up falling into the I'm right and you're wrong and winning by hook or by crook. Not good for the relationship.
1: And even right and wrong, in a sense, at times, you can almost parallel that to winning and losing, don't you think?
0: Yes, of course. It is a form of winning or losing. Now, some people are more competitive than others, and they tend naturally to want to win in every situation. It's just that's their nature. I'm like that, frankly. I'm very competitive. When I play a game of any kind, I really try to win. I'm not just there to move pieces around on the board or what have you. I really try to win. It's just sort of in my nature to really want to win. I'm not sure where that came from, frankly, but it's there. And I have to be aware of it at times because it can push me to want to win too much, if you like, and to ignore the more social end of what games are for. Games should be social events, not just winning and losing events.
1: Yeah, I too am highly competitive. I think my personality sort of molds that a little bit because, for example, I'm the kind of person that can watch a sporting event and I'll use two examples that are very specific. When I was in university, it was the Canada-Russia Hockey Series. Oh yeah,
0: 1972.
1: 1972, correct. And I remember being with all my friends and so on, and we're living in Canada, so obviously everyone is pro-Canada and I was pro-Canada too. However, I took a bit of a bend and I will never forget that experience because I was getting tired of hearing how Canada was going to overpower them and then how they weren't in our league. There was way too much of that for my liking. And so I was still hoping that Canada would win. But my idea started to change a bit because one night I was at a social event and I heard on the news while we were there that Canada was losing in Montreal. Oh, yeah. And everybody was stunned. Losing was one thing, but they were also getting beat pretty soundly that first game. Yeah. And at one point, I started to say, these guys are much better than we thought they were. And in fact, when I saw my first game and I watched Karmilov and Maltsev and Tretyak in the net, I thought, these guys are just as good as we are. Oh, yeah. They have the skills they certainly have the fitness. I was really impressed with the fitness. So I still wanted Canada to win, but I also appreciated when I saw one of their players skate from one end to the other, like Karmalov a few times, I said, these guys are impressive. Whatever their political position is aside, why can't we at least just say these guys are good and we're going to have to be really good to beat them? Mm -hmm. Now, I'm glad they won, but at the end, I would have liked to have heard we won, but barely. They were up to the task. In fact, if it hadn't been for that very last goal, we would have lost the series. Yeah. The entire series was one goal.
0: Yeah. Sometimes a victory is relatively undeserved. The bounce of the puck, a referee's bad call or what have you, Mm -hmm. can make the difference between winning or losing. So there's a whole world of undeserved victories out there. And one that comes to mind, that's not the sports world is the world of politics. Mm -hmm. We have in the West, in many of our electoral systems, a kind of first-past-the-post system where a party can actually win power and take control of the government with less than 50% of the popular vote. So here's a system that's set up that is inherently, in a way, undemocratic when you look at it on the face of it. And you have then people who are supported by a minority of the population are now running the show and have power over us, so to speak, Mm -hmm. even though they're elected to serve us. They're in positions of power now, and undeservedly so, in a sense. The other element of winning is, and the emphasis on winning is that it can be disastrous. It can actually be disastrous. And the example I would give is the whole approach to COVID that happened three years ago, roughly, where governments took this approach of we're going to beat this thing. We're going to defeat the virus, folks. You do these things, you quarantine, you social distance, you take the jab, wear the damn mask, and we're going to defeat this virus. And if any of you don't do that, then you're not interested in winning. You're losers, essentially. (laughs) Yeah. As citizens go, you don't care enough, yada, yada, yada. This whole zero COVID thing in New Zealand and in China, that's recently been abandoned by China, by the way, as a non-starter. It just doesn't work. But we took this approach and forced totally healthy people into these situations that where they had to compromise their own health in different ways. In my view, it was a deep and profound catastrophe. And we've talked about this before. But it was based upon, we're going to win somehow that we can win over Mother Nature, which is a ludicrous way of working in the world. There's no way you can beat Mother Nature.
1: Mm -hmm. No way. And more specifically, it was a militaristic approach, Mm. which is sort of an extension of the sporting approach as well. If you remember Vince Lombardi in the 60s with the Green Bay Packers, winning isn't everything. It's the only thing.
0: Right. Think about the, the war on drugs. How successful was that? Well, That's not a war on mother nature, it's a war on human nature in many ways, because we're always going to be searching for alternative substances that change our consciousness and put us in a different kind of frame of mind, alcohol being one of them that's been accepted by society, but drugs apparently were quite different than alcohol, even though alcohol caused way more death and destruction and pain than drugs had and have Mm -hmm. and so that has been changing now cannabis is legal and obtainable in your corner (laughs) liquor store yeah so this whole warring upon to win over mother nature or human nature is bound to fail in many ways and we never seem to learn our lesson on that front unfortunately
1: We talked briefly, and I think we have mentioned it already during this discussion, the so-called Pyrrhic victory. Mm. Now, that's a phrase that appears frequently in literature and in historical studies. Would you uh, elaborate a little bit on that, the Pyrrhic victory?
0: Well, the Pyrrhic Wars back in ancient Greece, I guess, where armies would throw everything at their enemy, win the battle but lose 90% of their military in the doing of that victory. That's known as a Pyrrhic victory. You win, but you've lost so much that in many ways it just wasn't worth it. wasn't worth the effort to win. Fighting over a 30-meter stretch of mud and dirt in World War I, and thousands and thousands of men on both sides of the line dying over a stretch of 30 meters of territory, and that's a Pyrrhic victory. If you win that territory, so what? You've lost so much more.
1: Mm -hmm. The nature of war in general, I've always been amazed by the phrase, we won the war. Well, (laughs) I guess that's a relative term. We've just lost half a million men, we've destroyed 25 cities, and we've won the war. Who's won, really?
0: Yeah, sure. Now, one of the other things you talked about was some of the repercussions of putting winning above all else. And I'd like to point us towards the country of Japan for a moment. Mm. It's understood that alcoholism is a big deal in Japan. It's bigger than in a lot of countries. It's more present. You can say, like, why is that? Why is it present? So I'm going to give you a little quote from somebody that I found online who evidently lived in Japan. And that person said, if you cannot drink a lot as a guy in Japan, you have no hope for any promotions in most Japanese companies, in a sense, drinking is a more important asset than education or skills in Japan. As long as you can drink a lot, you will have a smooth ride to the executive position. You don't need any skills, since the non-drinkers will be working under you, making one-twentieth the salary. So there's this whole culture in Japan of drinking and of drinking with a coworker or your senior and keeping up with them and not slacking off and to the point where you're both roaring drunk. These men get together and you see on the subway systems in Japan, and we saw them when we were there many years ago, businessmen in their suits with their briefcases on their asses or flat on their backs on the subway, totally blotto. And it's to do with culture. It's to do with cultural habits and expectations. And that has to do with winning. You don't get promoted unless you're able to drink and willing to drink yourself into oblivion.
1: Did that not also come out of a social-cultural aspect of the work ethic that they have, which is driving stressful level of living beyond the norm?
0: Oh, yeah. Another quote having to do with suicide statistics in Japan says the contributing factor to the suicide statistics among those who were employed was the increasing pressure of retaining jobs by putting in more hours of overtime and taking fewer holidays and sick days. So according to government figures, fatigue from work and health problems, including work-related depression, were prime motives for suicide. So the stresses of having to compete at work, also among younger people in university, Mm -hmm. competition is fierce in Japan for getting into certain schools and getting marks that are worthy, etc., There's depression amongst teenagers and and young people in Japan that it's a bit higher than elsewhere. We're just focusing on Japan. There are other countries similar to that, but that's one of the ones that stand out in terms of what winning can do to a society in some respects.
1: The things that we associate with winning, especially in North American culture, have to do with money and material possessions. Mm, Yeah and the pursuit of those things. Not that there's anything wrong. I just think it's the obsession or the preoccupation that is damaging.
0: Yes, obsessions of any kind will be damaging eventually. But there's an interesting balance to be struck here. I want to sort of talk about Jordan Peterson for a moment because he's very vocal these days about what we've done to the younger generation by the way we've talked about the planet what human beings have done to the planet, talking about human beings as a kind of blight on the surface of the planet because of climate change and pollution and what are we doing to Mother Nature? And it would be better if human beings weren't even on this planet, mm-hmm. etc. And he talks about what that does to the psyche of young people. It's telling them, what's the point of even trying to succeed in life? We're not worthy. Human beings shouldn't even be here. And he's saying that's a deep, deep disservice to young people, that it's a crime against them to put them in that position where they think success means being accountable for all the ails of the planet and of the climate change, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So there has to be a balance to be struck here, as you like to put it. So another example of that balancing factor This recent horrible event at the Cincinnati versus Buffalo football game, Monday night football game, where that young gentleman, Hamlin is his last name, had a cardiac arrest on the field. And I was watching that game when that happened. And it was incredible because this hush came over everyone. The doctors on both sides, on both teams, rushed out to help this young man of 24 who wasn't breathing. And... They furiously worked and worked, and the commentators were very subdued, and players were crying on the field, visually crying on the field out of concern and worry. And it was very interesting because the two coaches got together on the field and decided that we need a break. We've got to get off the field. Our teams are devastated here. So they went into the dressing rooms, And everyone somehow expected them to come back and continue the game. Once the player was taken away in the ambulance, you'd expect the game to resume. Well, the two teams decided amongst each other, we're not going to play this game. Now, we cannot play this game to completion. This man's life and what we've gone through emotionally is more important than the game itself, than winning or losing this game. Exactly, It's more important than the millions and millions of dollars lost in terms of advertising revenues. It's more important than all of that. And so they didn't cancel the game. They've postponed the game. And it may be played. It may not be. We don't know yet. But that's an example, though, of where the winning and losing of these games is put into perspective by life and death situations. And winning isn't always the most important thing. Living is the most important thing.
1: Absolutely. And also it saddens me in some ways that we have to reach these points in order to achieve these perspectives, that we haven't had enough experience with what we've already been through and what we're going through on an ongoing basis, that we have to have these extremes in order to wake us up. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, those players know that there's an inherent danger and a violence to football as a sport, mm-hmm. and they witness injuries all the time. Some of them are very serious, but this was something of another level where a player is actually fighting for their life right on the field. They did CPR for almost nine minutes on this poor young guy before his heart came back, and they got him into the ambulance with oxygen, etc., and took him to the hospital.
1: Fortunately, this morning, this morning being January 5th, I read that he's recovering or at least stable.
0: We'll have to keep tabs over the next few days about that. So there's a case where human solidarity, where the two teams were hugging each other, were supporting each other. The whole competitive thing was dropped immediately when the situation happened. And that gives me a little bit of hope that we can push beyond the survival of the fittest idea and winning is everything. If you're not winning, you're losing, all that stuff, to a better place with each other. That's how I think.
1: Just think about winning and losing in a different way. Winning is fine in a competitive situation where people are giving their best, whether it's two individuals, two teams, whatever it is, there's nothing wrong with that. Where we go wrong is either the obsession with it at any cost or not understanding that on any given day... You could be on the opposite end of that situation. You can win or lose. Right, right. So you don't lose the spirit of competition. You don't lose the drive for excellence. I think that's fantastic. I think sport is a very important, period, for any number of reasons. When I watch a sporting event, one of the things that I enjoy the most is when the game is over and players shake hands. They acknowledge one another. When even an opposing player who's on the losing team wins most valuable player, even though his team lost. Those are the moments that really shine not only in sport, but in humanity. Yeah. How do you handle when you win and when you lose? When you win, do you respect your opponent? Do you respect the other side knowing full well that you could be them and vice versa?
0: Yeah, I was in a chess tournament not long ago in Halifax, and the player I was playing eventually won the tournament. He was the strongest player there. And there was a certain point in the game where I was probably losing, but I thought, well, maybe there's some possibilities left in this position. So I played on, and he didn't like that. And there was a point during my move when he looked up from the board and said to me, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you resigning? Why are you wasting my time? Mm-hmm. As if to say, you're losing, so just give it up. Stop trying. Stop carrying on. You're just wasting my time and disrespecting me as a result. So I shook my head. I thought I was just aghast that he would do that. I mean, it's against the rules. I could have called an arbiter over and a referee and said, you know, can you please tell this guy to shut up? He's not supposed to do this. Talk during my move or talk during the game, period. Mm -hmm. I didn't do that. I just shook my head and said something, whatever, dismissive. And then finish the game. It happens. There's a kind of arrogance that you can get if you win all the time or much of the time. And so to find that humility is a difficult task for many people, for sure. But we have to find it. We have to get there. And by the way, Peter, during this podcast, I have a word counter here. I've been counting the number of words you've spoken and the number of words I've spoken. And I've spoken more words than you have during this podcast, so uh, I guess I win.
1: Well, I'd still like to shake your hand. If you can feel my hand through the telephone wires, I'd still like to shake your hand.
0: Yes, virtual handshake over 1,300 kilometers. Well played, sir. (laughs) Well played. Well played, sir. Very good.
1: And on that note, listen, we'd still like to hear back from you on this and other topics that we've discussed.
0: Yes, we value your ears and your ideas. Send us a little note. Tell us what we did wrong, what we did right, what you'd like to hear, and we will get to it.
1: And let me know if you think Harry has an attitude that should be corrected.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Winner! Winner! Remember Charlie Sheen? Winner! Anyway, um, all good. Until next time. Ciao, Peter. Ciao, Harry.
1: The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production
0: available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you for your donation to The Sill Podcast.